Welcome to Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. My name's Andrew, I'm one of the pastors here at Oak Ridge, and we are so excited to have you join us today. So grab your Bible and then your iPad, a notebook, pens, pencils, whatever it is that will help you get the most out of today's sermon, and please enjoy our Sunday message. Good morning, everyone. Good to be with you again, as always. If you have a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, I'll invite you to turn with me to 1 John. 1 John near the back of your Bible. 1 John, a little letter written by the Apostle. Did you know that there are people who have literally won the lottery and never picked up their prize? According to a Toronto Sun article published last year, it happens because the winner either is ignorant to the fact that they've won or they lost the proof that they've won, the ticket itself. And we're talking big money when it happens at times. Someone in Scarborough last year actually won the 70, 70, $70 million Lotto Max Grand Prize, a check that four months later had yet been picked up. Someone in Hamilton purchased a $7 million ticket, and they did not pick up their cash either. The article goes on that I read to explain that it's rare for these major prizes to go unclaimed, but it does happen sometimes, and that, get this, the largest unclaimed prize in Ontario, still unclaimed, was $5 million from a lot of 649 draw in 2005. Almost 20 years ago, it's still sitting there waiting to be claimed. Can you imagine winning a potentially life-altering amount of money and never cashing in? Tragically, this is exactly how many Christians live their lives. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are sitting on a ticket worth more than millions. A prize that goes far beyond the heaven that we are headed for. In fact, if you look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says this. This is the message we, that's the apostles, have heard from him, that's Christ, and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. In the prelude to this book, the introduction that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, we were reminded that the eternal God condescended to be known by us. And here we see that one of the characteristics of this now knowable God is that he is light. He is undefiled holiness. He is undiluted warmth and unhindered illumination. God is perfectly light. He is the standard of morality. He is the standard. He is the decider of truth, the definer of reality. And all of this, this is our God without a sliver of darkness. Not a hint of pollution. That is him, perfect in every way, pristine. He is light. And as we're going to see today, and most of us know, we are invited as God's children to walk in that light. To walk in that light. In other words, we've won the the grace sweepstakes. We have won it. Invited to live lives marked by a peace and an intimacy, and a joy, and a freedom, and a purity only offered by the God who is this pure light. We sometimes think when we talk about the everlasting life we're given, 
when we trust Christ, we sometimes think this is an everlasting life we get when we close our eyes for the last time in this world. And certainly that's true, but it's so much more than that. We have it now. It is our current possession now. We have everlasting life this moment. As Jesus said, I came to give life that you may have it to its fullest, to its abundancy, that you may have it now in all that is offered. See, Christians are sitting on a ticket worth more than millions, but never, many never cash it in. The question is, have you? Have I? Have we, as a church, cashed in on this prize that has been won for us by Christ himself? Today, as we jump into the meat of 1 John, we're going to be challenged by that question. We're sitting on a life-altering amount of power and grace, and John's going to show us what we are to do to live in it. Do you want to live in the light? Do you want to live in intimacy with the God who has saved you? To walk in his presence, John's going to tell us how we can do that. He's also going to tell us what God has done to make us even eligible. How did he buy the ticket for us? What do we have because of what he has done? Now, the text we're looking at today, it contains three things that you and I as believers, need to chase in order to cash in. This is what we are to do in order to walk in the light. So first, as we look at this text, the first thing that we need to do is that we need to walk in holiness. If we want to be a people who experience the presence of God, a peace that surpasses understanding, a joy in spite of circumstances, I know you do and I do as well. If we want that, then we need to walk in holiness. Verse 6. John says, if we say that we have fellowship, that's intimacy with him, that's God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, you can't claim to love light and live in darkness at the same time. You can't claim to be a vegan and eat steak every night. You can't sing, you are my all in all God on Sunday morning, and then put him in the margins on Monday. We can't do that. John comes along and says, if you live like that, without duplicity, you are a liar. You're lying, he says. You may be saved, because we're saved by grace through faith, by trusting Jesus. You may be saved, but you are not walking in the light. You're not enjoying his presence, the intimacy that he offers. No, no, you're walking in darkness, he says. And walking in darkness is a dangerous thing, isn't it? Stub your toe on an ottoman, you swear you moved the night before. My house, you step on Lego that I'm sure was designed to pierce skin. I know it was. <laughs> but walking in darkness is dangerous. There's hazards there. And when Christians walk in darkness, that's right, Christians can walk in darkness apart from God. And when we do, it's dangerous. When we walk in unholiness, we can get hurt. And if I seem overly urgent this morning and impassioned, I'm somewhat impassioned most of the time, but maybe a little bit more today, it's because this is my testimony. For years, I claimed Christ is my Lord. I belong to Christ, and my life looked nothing like his. Nothing like it. It's my shame. I know that it hurts, that he brings discipline on those he loves. I know that there is pain for walking in darkness. So I was studying this this week, and it was a hard reminder, but a wonderful reminder as well, because God is gracious, isn't he? We can get hurt when we walk in darkness. Verse 7, John continues. He goes to the good news. But 
if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So when we walk in holiness, when we walk as he is in the light, and we walk in that light, we enjoy fellowship with God, and we are cleansed from all sin by Jesus' sacrificial and atoning death. His blood washes us clean. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So here John is encouraging believers to walk in holiness that they may be cleansed. And we might stop here and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on a second. Wasn't I cleansed when I trusted Christ? Wasn't that the case? When I believed in Jesus? Isn't that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? He says, such were some of you, speaking to the Corinthians, but you were, past tense, washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Isn't that something that happens when we first believe that we are washed white as snow? We would say, yes, that's true. But there are two washings that Scripture puts forward. There is that initial washing, that cleansing that happens when we trust in Christ, but there is this ongoing washing which we must take place, which takes place so we can enjoy fellowship with God. This is so beautifully pictured, as we've talked about before in John 13 in the upper room, when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And you'll remember, Peter says, no, you must give me a whole bath then if I want to have fellowship with you. And Jesus says, you already are washed. You've just picked up dirt on your feet. I need to cleanse you again so you have fellowship with me. See, we may have a relationship, but if you see me coming out of the nursery here and I, I've just changed a dirty diaper and I go to shake your hand, you might say, whoa, 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 hang on a second. Did you wash your hands? You're not going to think, did you shower today? No, I'm already cleansed. You just need that extra washing to have fellowship. That's the same with the Lord. If you've trusted in Jesus, you've been washed. You've been set aside. And yet, we pick up dirt on our feet, don't we? As we walk through this sin-marred world, we pick up dirt, and we need to go to him and cleanse ourselves again so we can have that intimate fellowship restored with God. That's what John is talking about here. The cleansing John's describing is that which we need for this unhindered intimacy with God. And he says, you want to walk in the light? Pursue holiness. Confess your sin, he says. Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, so he just said, you'll be cleansed from all sin. There might be someone who says, well, I have nothing to, I have nothing to confess. I, I'm pretty clean. He says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Never fool yourself into thinking you have nothing to mar the soils or the, the soles of your feet. We do. We all pick up sin. One preacher from a long time ago said that he, he who cannot find water in the sea is not more foolish than the man who can't find sin in himself. It's always there. We don't want to be deceived and think that we have nothing to confess. John says, don't fool yourself. We all sin and we all need cleansing. And then verse 9, here's how we get it. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we assume wrongly that we have nothing to confess, which I haven't met that person, but I guess that they're out there. Yeah. It's definitely not me. If we, if we assume that we have nothing to confess, then... John says, we are again living in deceptive darkness. Ouch, we can get hurt. Don't live like that, he says. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, 
I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. I love that passage. You can hear the pastoral care dripping from John's pen. He wants these believers, he wants us to experience the light. He wants them to experience the intimacy with the Almighty, the intimacy that only God can give. But he says to do that, we've got to walk in holiness. You've got to walk in holiness, desiring fellowship with God so that you may not sin. Do we want to walk with God? Do we want to experience his presence? That should be a motivating factor not to sin. I don't want to sin. And then I love how he follows that up. But when you do sin, so this is so you don't sin, but when you do, but when you do, what do we do? Confess. That is, agree with God. And our advocate with the Father, standing next to the Holy Father, Jesus Christ, is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. And we say, why can he do that? How come he gets to stand there interceding on our behalf? Well, he says, because he himself is the propitiation for the sins of the world. A big word that means he is the instrument by which appeasement was made. Satisfaction was received for sins. He that is righteous, chapter 2, verse 1, is righteous to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're told, go to him and receive that prize of cleansing. Go to him. We have to ask ourselves when we come to a text like this, do we pursue purity with our lives? Is this a concern of ours? Or do we bank on that initial washing and just say, I am washed, doesn't really matter now? Or do we say, no, no, I want my life to look increasingly like the one who saved me? Do we understand that the depths of our sin and the height of God's forgiveness? Or do we walk in darkness? Believing the lies of this world that you're good just the way you are. Is that, is that not the world's anthem right now? Don't change anything. You are good just the way you are. Know yourself, find yourself, and then make the world bend around your view of yourself. The Bible comes along and says, no, no, don't do that. Know yourself and confess where you err and receive forgiveness and cleansing. I ask myself, do I love what God loves and hate what God hates? Or is my moral palate being honed by the world and not by God himself? Brothers and sisters, John is asking us here, do we walk in holiness? And he's asking because many Christians in the first century and the 21st do not. And because of that, we'll never experience the abundant life Jesus came to offer us. I was raised in a home where we were not allowed to say, I'm sorry, as an apology. My parents said, that doesn't count. We want you to name the sin and ask forgiveness. So as a kid, we would go up to my brother, I'd go up to my parents and say, I was wrong for lying. Will you forgive me? My dad said, that's an apology. He said, name the sin. And so from a young age, we became very acquainted with, very acquainted, very acquainted with the power of confession and the power of forgiveness. And the power of those things to mend a relationship. I've wronged someone in my family. I need their forgiveness. I name how I've, I've wronged them, and I receive that forgiveness, and on we go. How much more with my Heavenly Father? When I've wronged him, I go, Heavenly Father, I was wrong for fill in the blank. I'm agreeing with you that this is sin. I need your forgiveness. 
And when we do that, what does he promise? Cleansing. Cleansing. That's how we walk in holiness. Do we keep short accounts with the Lord? Do we, do we fool ourselves into thinking I have nothing to confess? Or do we know that every hour I have to go to him and say, Lord, I did it again. Again and again. I need your cleansing. And he says, here you go. Here it is. Cleansing and cleansing and cleansing anew. So that relationship can be honed and enjoyed as it was designed to. We ask and say to the Lord, Lord, I confess, I believe what you say. That, that my, what I'm looking at online or watching on TV is not good. It's not good for me. It doesn't bring you glory. I'm agreeing with you. I confess I need your washing, and he brings it. My envy, my pride, how I spoke to my spouse or my kids. There was sarcasm there. Was sarcasm there. There, was, there was a harshness. I need your forgiveness. I'm agreeing with you. That was wrong. I slandered that person. I talked behind their back. Father, I need your forgiveness. One of the things that concerns me about the church today in general is we tend to be more concerned about the unholiness out there than the unholiness in here. Concerns me. We get concerned with out there, look at this world. They're against the church. They do all these, they're, they're unsaved people. Of course they do. But when we get so distracted with out there and all the sin going on out there and we neglect the sin going on in here and in here, that is to our shame. And that harms the intimacy we can have with the Almighty and that he wants us to have. So John says, you want intimacy? You want to cash in on that prize Christ won for you? Walk in holiness. Walk in holiness. Now he continues on in this passage into a second thing that we must do. And that is not just walk in holiness, but we must walk in obedience. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. See, we see that there's a difference here between knowing and knowing, right? And we kind of, we understand that as well. There's knowing something and then there's knowing something. A number of years ago, it came up in our home that I didn't tell my wife I loved her as much as she would like. I'm thinking, I married you. I said to you on that day, I loved you. I mean, I didn't change my mind. That continues, right? Well, she didn't agree with my assessment. <laughs> and she's right. Why? Because a functional knowing is different from an experiential knowing. We just realize that. Of course it is. They're both true, but the latter is an intimate awareness of the former. As believers, we know God through faith in Christ. We have come to know him. In fact, in John 17, Jesus prays this. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God. We know him. And yet there's also knowing him, isn't there? There's a difference there. We have come to know him, and that is immovably true. But as we've seen in this epistle, and we will continue to see, John wants us to know Christ experientially and intimately, day by day and hour by hour. And we can do that if we walk in obedience, if we keep his commandments. Keep reading in verse 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he, that's Christ, walked. Just like in the first section dealing with holiness, you know, John says someone here who claims to intimately know God but disregards God's word, 
is a liar. They're a liar. You can't say, I have such a close relationship with the Lord, and then ignore what he says. A teenager can't say, I have such a close relationship with my parents. They're like my best friends, but then sneaks out at night past curfew and drinks all night. That, that's a lie. That's deception. They're no less the child, though. They're still the child of those parents, but that relationship is strained. It is not what it could be. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. A child of God who obeys his word, finds his love, says here, perfected. Meaning, meaning it has had its intended effect. Why does God give his word? So that we may be conformed to the image of Christ. And we, when we walk according to that word, guess what it's doing? Conforming us into the image of Christ. It's doing what it was supposed to do. It is becoming perfected. It's a beautiful thing. That verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. I mentioned before that this is my testimony, that claiming one thing and living another for years and years and years, I remember this verse specifically. In my disobedience, in my rebellion against God, I came across this verse by God's providence. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. <sighs> Dagger to my heart. God pointing his finger in my sternum and saying, you hypocrite, you're a liar. You are a liar. And he calls me back into intimate relationship with him. He says, there is something better waiting for you if you would walk in obedience. If anyone claims to live in him, he must walk as Jesus walked. Now let's be clear, we're not talking about salvation here. He's talking to saved people. We're not saying if you don't walk in obedience to God, you're probably not saved. No, that's not what we're talking about here. We're saying if you want to enjoy intimacy with God, obey him, obey him. How are we saved? By believing in Jesus, we enjoy intimacy with God by walking in obedience and learning to walk in obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an important distinction to make. If we want an intimate relationship with our Savior, we will walk in obedience. And when Christians and churches decide to play fast and loose with his word, an expression of his very being, by the way, unwittingly we're playing fast and loose with our relationship with him. That's what sometimes we don't understand. When we start playing word games, I know he says that, but really, contextually, it means something different. We need to understand it. When we start playing those games with God's word, we are playing with our intimacy with God. And it's a dangerous game. I don't want to play that. I want to walk in intimacy with my God, and so I will obey it. Just like any parent, any child caregiver, any babysitter, at some point has to come to a point with a child where they say, because I said so, Right? I know you don't understand. I know you don't get it. But trust me, I know what's best. Just believe me. Just obey me. It's for your good because I said so. It's the same with our relationship with God. There are times I go to this word and I say, I don't understand this. It offends me. The culture's saying something way different. And God comes along and says, because I said so. Just trust me. You want to walk in intimacy with me? Just believe that I actually know what I'm doing. And submit to my word. When churches, when Christians, when families start playing fast and loose with this, changing things that it says, altering them to fit our culture, we are playing with our intimacy with the Almighty. And we will not walk in intimacy with God. For some of us today, you might be here and say, I, I believed Christ, but I just don't feel his presence. I don't feel like I'm walking closely with God. Well, brother, sister, maybe it's because you're not walking in obedience. Maybe it's because you're not walking in holiness. These are real issues. You do these things, and you will find that intimacy restored because he is faithful and never far from us. 
If we want to be a people who walk in the light, and we do want to be that people, growing in our relationship and experience of God, we will be a people who walk in holiness, who walk in obedience, and then finally, we will be a people who walk in love. Who walk in love. Look back to the text here. Verse 6, it called believers to walk as Christ walked. And now, John explains what exactly he had in mind. Because there are many ways that Christ walked, but John has something very specific in mind. The way that he loved. Walk as Christ walked. More specifically, walk as Christ loved. Love as he loved. Verse 7. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Again, we hear this recurring theme. If someone claims he is in the light or she is in the light and walking in intimacy with God, but is not walking in holiness, they're lying. If they claim it and are not obeying God, they're lying. And if they claim they are walking in the light, but they hate their brother and sister in Christ, they're lying. They're deceiving themselves and perhaps other people as well. It's the one who loves their brother and sister in Christ who actually walks in the light, avoiding the dangers of groping about in the dark. Love one another. It's an old commandment on one hand, right? It's all over the New Testament. It's all over the Old Testament. Love one another. But on the other hand, it's it's new. It's an old commandment, but it's new on the other hand in that the sacrificial love has now been modeled perfectly when the word became flesh and dwelt among us and died for us. John 15, verse verse 13. Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. Well, who is the ultimate model of that except Christ himself? This command to love one another, it's old in substance, but new in demonstration. It's old in content, but it's new in power. Love one another. You want to walk closely with your God? You want to enjoy intimacy with with he that has saved you? Walk in love. Sacrificially loving brothers and sisters in Christ like Christ himself loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, it can be popular today to kind of besmirch the church. And we expect it from people outside the church. But it's kind of becoming in vogue for people in the church, not necessarily this church, but in general, to say things like, I love Jesus, I just don't like his people. I love Jesus, I just don't like his church. It's garbage. It's nonsense. Christ loves his church. He died for his church. He's coming again for his church. He's purifying his church. He calls his church the bride, his bride. You want to see me get hot under the collar? Insult my bride. We dare not insult the bride of the king of kings. So be careful how we talk about his bride, about the church, about his people. We should love people. Now, is it hard to love sinners? Yeah. 
It's very hard to love sinners, isn't it? You know, in, at Oak Ridge, over the last number of years, we've had a lot of people come and go through these doors. And it's happened more than once where someone comes in and they enjoy fellowship for a couple of weeks and I get to know them and I ask them, so where have you been in the past? Where are you coming from? And they'll say things like, well, uh, this is now the fifth or sixth church that we've tried in the last couple of years. And, and we just, we're, we're frustrated. We can't seem to find a good church. More than once I've said, there's a common denominator there. <laughs> they did not come back. <laughs> Have you ever considered that you are the problem? Have you lost sight of the fact that you're actually a sinner too, and you're hard to deal with? Have you ever assumed that? No, we right away jump to, they're the problem, I'm not the issue, instead of saying, how can I sacrificially love other sinners? How can I lay down my preferences? How can I lay down all of this stuff to serve brothers and sisters of Christ, in Christ who maybe don't even deserve it? How can I do that? Because after all, that's exactly what Christ did for us. He laid down his life while we were yet sinners, while we were unlovely. He loved us. Can we do that for one another? John comes along and says, you want to abide with Christ? You want to walk closely with him? You want to feel his presence? You want to walk in step with the Holy Spirit? Love your brothers and sisters in Christ as Christ loved the church. You know, we praise God in many ways for the technology over the last number of years that's allowed us to stream online and, and do all those kinds of things for people who can't be here. But this is one thing that you can't do electronically. It's really hard to love sacrificially through a digital medium. Very hard. In fact, I don't even know if it's possible. This, when we are together and we insult each other, and we disappoint each other, and we confuse and frustrate one another, and then we forgive one another, and we serve one another anyway, that is when we draw close, not just to one another, but to the Lord also. That is hard to do from home. From home. Sometimes I just need to be reminded when I get frustrated with brothers and sisters in Christ that I'm just as frustrating <laughs> and I need to get down off my high horse and just serve. So how do we enjoy intimacy with the Almighty? Which is what you want, it's what I want, that's why we're here. We want to walk in step with the Lord. How do we move from knowing God in salvation to knowing Him in relationship? How do we take steps from being Christians to being disciples of Jesus who pick up our cross and follow after Him? mightily used by God for his glory and for our enjoyment? Well, John is pretty clear here. Walk in holiness, walk in obedience, and walk in love. If you claim to know God but fail to walk in these ways, you're lying to yourselves and to others. And we've all been guilty of that lie. We're all there. And yet we bring that lie to the Lord and say, I confess to you, and we receive cleansing. And on we go. Brothers and sisters, we're sitting on the winning ticket. Perhaps it's time for some of us to cash it in for the first time. Start walking closely with the Lord. And for others of us, maybe we have been, but it's time to enjoy it with even more zeal. I get to walk closely with the Lord, intentionally seeing what he's given us, uh, a recipe for enjoying that. Now, as we close out this text here, John, before he moves on, he wants to remind his readers who it was that bought the ticket in the first place. Because we can be pretty tempted to start thinking, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm pursuing holiness, I'm obeying the Lord, and all of a sudden it becomes about us. And John quickly turns it back and says, whoa, whoa, you didn't buy the ticket. God did some work for you. You may be doing some things to enjoy intimacy, but this is what God has done for you. And that's where he closes with the last three verses. Now, before I read these final three verses of our text today, I want to give, give us a bit of a key to understanding who's being spoken to, because John gets a little bit cryptic if we're not careful here. 
John is about to address children, fathers, and young men. Okay? And when he speaks to little children and to children, who he's referring to is believers. He does it all the way through this letter. In fact, seven other times he says, my little children, children. He's talking to believers here. But then as we move on in these three verses, he keeps the family theme going, and then he speaks to fathers, who I take as mature believers. They are people who have grown up, who are now discipling other people, who are bringing them along, who are mature and rooted. And then he shifts and talks to young men. I think these are maybe new believers who are more full of zeal than maturity. We know those people, right? And so he's talking to this family situation, little children. Now I'm going to refer to you, the, the mature ones in the group, and those who are less mature. He's referring to the whole family of God here. Let's look at the text, verse 12, 13, and 14. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I've written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So as believers, as we've said, we are sitting on a winning ticket. And here John gives us a sample of our prize. He lists three things that we have received from God. We've just told, here's what we need to do. Walk in holiness. Walk in obedience. Right? Walk in love. But he circles back and says, let's remind ourselves what God has done for us. First, God's given us forgiveness from our sins. Verse 12, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. And we know from the testimony of Scripture that we have all sinned, falling short of God's standard. We are stained with iniquity and that the cost of such filth is death. But we're also told that Jesus paid our penalty and that his blood provided the only detergent that works for these stains. Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our transgressions from us. When we trust in Jesus, those sins passed present, and future are gone. They're removed from us. We are free from the guilt. We have been forgiven our sins. And brothers and sisters, I just want to be clear. You cannot even now out-sin God's forgiveness and out-sin his grace. Some of us try. Some of us are pretty good at trying. You can't. It's an eternal forgiveness. It's an eternal love. Past, present, and future. As far as the east is from the west, we have been forgiven. And there is a liberty that comes with that. And some of you in here today, I have no doubt, might be thinking to yourself right now, if you only knew. You don't know. You don't know what I've done. It might work for some lying and some, some little things, but you have no idea. If you knew what was in my heart, if you knew what I had done, you wouldn't say that I've been forgiven. I'm going to tell you right now, you're wrong. I am saying you are forgiven. And even better than that, God is saying, you are forgiven. If you have trusted Christ, your sins have been forgiven you. It's an amazing truth. And the peace and the liberty that can bring. So if you're here today, I pray for you. If you are bound in the guilt of your sin and the enemy is coming and whispering in your ear, but that one, but that one, but what about that one? Listen to God's voice, not his. You are forgiven. What else has he given us? Well, secondly, God's given us victory over evil. 
says this a few times in this little passage. Verse 13, he says, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And again in verse 14, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and you have overcome the evil one. The same author, later on, he, or earlier on, he records in his gospel account in John 16, verse 33, Jesus saying, These things I have spoken to you, speaking to his disciples, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And later on in 1 John, and we'll get to this, Lord willing, later on, but in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world, the enemy in the world. We have the Holy Spirit who is greater than our enemy. We have overcome evil in Christ. We are living in a sin-scarred world full of sin-stained people. And this is a world set against the things of God. I don't need to tell you that. We do battle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers in the heavenly places. We war against the enemy who steals, kills, and destroys, and who prowls about hungry and murderous. Left to ourselves, we're a joke. We don't stand a chance. We are outgunned completely, but in Christ we have victory over evil. That we can say with Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. What do you have for me, enemy? Myself, I'm nothing. But in Christ, with him, I'm everything. Because he's everything. The enemy comes, we are free from the power of evil. And you might be sitting here today saying, it has such a hold on me though. It is, the temptation is just, it's just overwhelming. And the world is just this onslaught. You need to be reminded today, you have overcome evil in Christ. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. And, and, and in Jesus' name, say, Lord, I am free from this evil. In you, I have victory over evil. Sometimes it feels like the battle is being lost, but that's not true. We have won in Christ. We need to be reminded of that. We've been given that. Finally, God's given us knowledge of himself. And this is really a theme of 1 John. But he says in verse 13, I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you children because you know the Father. I've written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because the word of God abides in you. As believers, we've come to know God because he condescended to introduce himself. We would not know him if he did not take the initiative. This whole topic of growing in intimacy with the Almighty is predicated on him being knowable in the first place. It's kind of moot if he's not knowable, but he's made himself knowable. And so we can get to know him. We have been given knowledge of God because God graciously revealed himself to us. So what has God done to make us eligible for such a prize? Well, he has given us forgiveness from sins, victory over evil, and knowledge of himself. These are things God's done for us. And we need to understand this rightly because think about this. The more I dwell on what God has done for me, the more I can do what I'm called to do at the front end of this passage, No the more I understand that I am forgiven, that I have victory over evil, that I have a knowledge of God, the more I dwell in those things, the more I can walk in holiness, the more I can walk in obedience, the more I can walk in love, but it springs from what he's done for us first. Then we get to work and we get to enjoy intimacy with him. It's a brilliant, brilliant display of God's grace. Because of what God has done, there are things that we're to do if we want to enjoy the abundant life we've been offered to cash in on the prize for which we've been made eligible. And I know we want that. Again, I've said that a few times, but we're here today. We don't want to settle for just 
being saved. As great as that is, we want to walk with our Lord in this life. We want to feel his presence. We want to experience his affirmation. We want to feel him draw close in our greatest time of need. We want the comfort. We want the peace that transcends understanding. We want all of that. We want it all. We want it so badly, Lord. And God says, okay, I want you to have it, he says. Walk in holiness. Confess to me. Walk in obedience humbly before your God. And walk in love with your brothers and sisters. And I will draw near to you. Imagine a church that does that. Imagine a church filled with people who are walking so in step with the Holy Spirit. What what work we will do for the Lord, for his glory, if we did that. We just depend on him. Let's ask him for his help to do that now. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more sermons, blogs, and other resources, you can check out our website, oakridgebiblechapel.org. To listen to our weekly podcast, Word Processing, you can go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting platform. Remember, you can always join us in person or on our live stream at 10.30 a.m. on Sundays. Thanks for watching.